Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Okay. Oh, again, I think we've come to a bit of a natural lull, so we'll get started. Although we may pick it up again later in the year, um, this is the last in our series on uh, parables for a while. And I've not been in the meeting for all of them, quite often I'm out doing the kids' work actually, but the, the ones I have heard I've really enjoyed. And in preparation for this talk, I've kind of looked back over the previous passages that people have been speaking on. And one of the things I've noticed is that the parables aren't very long, some of them, something like two or three verses, maybe even one verse, but they really do pack a punch. Um, and today's no different actually. Uh, Those of you who know me well know I love theology, love reading the Bible, love reading books about reading the Bible, and although with three young children I don't get to get through as many books as I used to, I do love it. But even though I love it, it doesn't mean that I never find it challenging, and sometimes coming to God's Word can be a difficult experience. Sometimes, if I'm honest, I can read something, and it doesn't always sit easily with me. I'm not sure if you have that experience. You might be reading something, reading a passage, and you come across a verse, and it's almost like, Lord, I know this is your word, but it kind of feels like this verse missed the editing process somewhere along the line, and it's maybe not the answer um, that you're looking for. Um, There's a well-known verse in the book of Micah that says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And actually, walking humbly with God, that is actually how we handle his word. We come to it in humility, because if we don't do that, if we have an attitude of, we know best, you kind of have two things happen. You kind of read into it what you want to read into it, or, because it hasn't given you the answer that you want, you kind of can dismiss it as well. So, today we're looking at the parable of the net. My prayer really has been that actually we come with a humility and now his word to shape us and not to shape it. Um, so, the passage will appear on the screen. So we're reading from Matthew 13, verses 47 to 51. And actually, during this week, I've kind of... I think you know I never really speak for too long, but I really wanted to kind of leave some time for prayer at the end, so the talk may be a bit um, shorter than normal. Um, Thank you for not giving a loud cheer there at that that moment. Um, But yeah, I just feel it's really important for us as we kind of approach this summer term that we give some time to prayer. So, um, Matthew 13. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected a good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us through your spirit. We thank you for your presence with us this morning. And Lord, we're, we're just so thankful for what Maureen brought during communion. That we don't have to be fearful as Christians, but we know that we're safe. 
when we know that we're covered by the precious blood of the Lamb. And so, Lord, as we approach this parable and we go through it, Lord, we just ask for, for your name to be glorified, um, for your truth to reign, um, for you to break lies in our hearts and in our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've been coming to Beacon now for well over like 10 years, I think. It's been a long time. And um, during that time, I've served in a number of um, different ways. It may be hard to believe I actually served on PA once, but we're, I think we're all happy that those dark days are over with now and I'm doing something different. Um, but um, over the 10 years, there's probably been one thing that I've consistently served in, and that has been helping Owen prepare the preaching series. And I've done that, yeah, just for probably 10 years now. And I was, um, one of the series we did, I think maybe about eight years ago, so I'm not sure how many of you would, um, would know it, was called The Message of Music. And what Owen did um, during that series is he would take a, a well-known song and recognising often songs have a kind of particular an underlying message to them, an underlying theme, he'd unpick it a bit and then kind of bring the biblical perspective um, to it. And it's really the biblical basis to that would be kind of um, Paul and the Apostle Paul in Athens, where we read in Acts 17, and Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. And the idea is really to kind of, sometimes, not all the time, it's not like a... Um, Always the, um, always the case, but to proclaim the word of God effectively, to proclaim the gospel, sometimes the best starting point is unpicking what the world believes about something, kind of looking at maybe something the world worships, something that they have as an idol. And I was thinking about the series of Message of Music because there's a song that my daughter really likes at the moment. It's not a recent one, uh, but I think it was a few years ago by uh, Will I Am and the Script. And she's been singing it a lot, wants me to play it on YouTube all the time. And really, the underlying message of the song would be one of, I suppose, empowerment, self-empowerment. As an individual, you can do whatever you want to do. There's no limits. You can be the best. You can be the greatest. You can do whatever you want. And those lines weren't bothering me so much, but then these ones appeared. You can go the distance. You can run the mile. You can walk straight through hell with a smile. Now, I don't know where, what is your ideal location for a leisurely walk. <laughs> I, you know, like to South Bank by the Thames, Crystal Palace Park. But even though it's just a song, I think that kind of lyric is illustrative of, yeah, the world doesn't take hell, doesn't take judgment seriously. And when we think of this idea of judgment and linked to hell is whenever a judgment is made, it's made against the standard. If you're going to judge something, you're judging it against something. And lots of people, that's not doesn't bother them. If you think we may not like them, if you think of exams, most people would agree there needs to be some standards with an exam. You wouldn't want to sit it and think, oh, I could get full marks here and receive the same grade as someone who got zero. You'd accept, actually, there's got to be a standard for what you need to get. Um, if you were going on holiday, paid a lot of money, booked your hotel, five stars, and you arrived, and the hotel is essentially a shed in someone's back garden... 
And you're talking to the owner, and he said, well, we like our shed. We just gave it five stars. You'd be a little bit annoyed. There's a standard attached to certain things. But, and people kind of accept that. But when it comes to worldviews, it's a little bit more difficult. The idea that actually there is a right way to live, that there could be an absolute truth of what we, can, um, of what we should be doing, people struggle with that. Because really, people have the approach of actually... What is true for you isn't necessarily true for me. I can live the way that I want without consequences as long as I'm not harming other people. The reality is, though, some of these worldviews are competing, and some of them, we'd say, are mutually exclusive. Atheists believe that at the end of the age, all our existences will come to an end. For Christians, the Bible teaches us that we all stand before the judgment seat of God. Both things aren't going to happen. There is a standard. And it's also worth recognising that there can be a reaction to a God, the reaction to a God who judges in some way is quite a Western kind of thing as well. There's a theologian called Miroslav Volf, and he argues that in the West it is easier to believe that God doesn't judge because our lives, not without difficulty, are relatively easy compared to other parts of the world. Um, it's not that we don't experience hardship or difficulty, but genuinely we'd say we live in a peaceful country. And he has this phrase where he says, it takes the quiet of a suburban home for such a mistaken belief to grow. Those who have been victimised, oppressed and marginalised don't have such an issue with the idea of God as a judge. The parable teaches us that judgment will be made, the wicked will be separated from the righteous and be thrown into the fiery furnace. So I want you to imagine a scenario for a moment. Imagine there is a dividing line that runs through this hall that splits us into... The, I can see some of you are looking worried. This isn't the end of the age, just so you know. There's no, nothing to attach to this. But there is a dividing line running through the hall that splits us into two groups. And you hear that someone has decided that one of the groups is going to receive this amazing gift. Imagine it is that kind of all-around-the-world trip where the hotels are five-star, it's expenses paid, you're going to have an amazing time. And this group, you're going to get that prize. Oh, they're so gracious, weren't they, in their response? <laughs> and you're going to get the prize because you're just, um, you work really hard, um, you really try your best. I think you, the person's heard that sometimes you give money to charity. You've achieved a lot. And, yeah, you're just really nice people. You're friendly. You're polite. You chat. Now, in that scenario, there could be the temptation to look across to this side and think, ah, look a bit down on them, actually. Maybe a bit of judgment could come in. You didn't try hard enough. Maybe you should have given a little bit more money to charity. Maybe you should have been a bit more polite. But imagine the scenario again, and actually, you're still going to get the prize. The person's decided you're going to get this reward, but it has nothing to do with which school you went to. Nothing to do with your job. Nothing to do with your salary. Nothing to do with whether you're married, single, or have kids. Nothing to do with your ethnicity. 
Nothing to do with whether you have a degree or not. You have been given this prize. The person has decided it because you have believed that he has the power to do it. Now, that changes the scenario. In that moment, you're not looking across at them thinking, oh, you should have tried better. In that moment, when you realize you've been given this gift, judgment goes away. At the end of the age, when there is that separation between the wicked and the righteous, not that you're wicked, don't worry. Those who are declared righteous will not be acting as if they're self-righteous. Actually, what they'll be doing, they'll be looking up at the one who has made them righteous in worship and in thanks. And it was just so helpful what Maureen brought this morning during communion. Actually, that perfect spotless lamb given for us without blemish, so that we can be declared righteous. The Bible teaches that sin entered the world through Adam's disobedience and that all his descendants, humankind, are born sinful and there are consequences for our sin. But God had a plan to create a people for himself that would bless the nations. He gave the people, the Israelites, his law, the perfect way to live. But however, time and time again, they failed to keep it. They could not keep the standard. So what did God do? As we said, he sent his son. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What that verse speaks of is often referred to as the great exchange. Jesus became sin. He took my sin. He took your sin. He died on the cross, rose again, so that we could have his righteousness. If you're the type of person who likes a deal, likes a bargain, that's the best one you're ever going to get. Um, if we can go to the next slide. So, I love the, um, the fact that symbols can be quite a powerful thing. So it doesn't matter from which country you're from, which language you speak. If you drive and you look at this, you know... And the dashboard is telling you that your petrol, your fuel, is running a bit low. Now, uh, as you're growing up, there's always that kind of, for most of us, those kind of long car journeys when you're going on holiday. As a parent of three children, I have a different perspective now on those long car journeys, and I think they're probably, even though they weren't fun for me when I was growing up, I think they're less fun for the adults, actually. Uh, But... In my, um, in my parents' car, the position that I sat in the back is I had a kind of a good view of the dashboard. So when this light flicked on, I could see it. And I was of the opinion that, OK, we're running out of petrol, go and get some petrol. Now, my dad isn't here to defend himself, but he had a slightly different approach, as I seem to remember. He would see that and think, oh, OK. And we may even come to a petrol station and he'll just drive on. It didn't seem to bother him as much. Uh, And it can be true that we can see the warning light, we can see the warning signs, but we don't necessarily heed them. Uh, I think lots of you will know that a few weeks ago some of us went to the Regions Beyond conference in in Greece, and it was a wonderful time, lots of amazing talks and everything. But probably the best one was, for me, was by Steve Oliver, who kind of leads Regions Beyond, and he spoke out of Nehemiah, actually, and he was really talking around the idea of 
do we have compassion for the city? Nehemiah was um, written after kind of the Israelites had been kind of taken into exile into Babylon. Then, um, but in 1539, King Cyrus of Persia overthrew the Babylonian king. And in doing so, he took control of their vast empire, including the territories formed under the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And then he issued a decree that said the Jewish exiles were free to go to return to their home. And so at that point, many of the Jewish people returned from Babylonian captivity, and they, they started rebuilding Jerusalem. But Nehemiah, who hadn't returned from exile yet, got a report, and he said, that the, hearing that the city walls were still in ruin. And though he was still kind of living away from, um, from Jerusalem and there was that degree of separation, he was moved by this news. It affected him. He fasted, he mourned and prayed for the rebuilding of the walls of his beloved city. He was moved by what he heard. He had compassion for the people, for the city, and ultimately, it provoked him for action. And what Steve Oliver also did is he kind of contrasted Nehemiah with Jonah, the prophet Jonah, given that commission to go to Nineveh to declare a prophecy of God's judgment coming to them because of their kind of wickedness. And we know the story. He doesn't kind of like the commission. He runs away, but eventually he does end up there. He delivers the message. And to surprise, the people in the city repent. And God relents from his judgment. And there's that moment when actually Jonah's angry. He's angry that God has shown mercy to these people. And it was a powerful and challenging message. And it had made me realize that actually my tank of compassion had been running a bit low. I've been having a few warning signs. I think some stuff, I'm a primary school teacher, some stuff at school. I've noticed maybe I wasn't as compassionate with the kids as I'd normally been. And when I did realise this, there is a battle for the mind, actually. You can kind of sit there kind of think, oh, I'm an awful person. How can I not have compassion? But really, the best thing to do in that way is to draw close to the one who has all the compassion, has all the love that we need. And since that conference, one of my main prayers has actually been that uh, I'll have more compassion on what I see. I'll become more aware. Now, I know this is a classic bit of Christian jargon. I am on a journey with it. Uh, but I think since then, what I have kind of noticed is actually I'm just seeing more things. So people in the street may even asking for money. I may have treated in the past as a bit of an irritation. I've been prompted to pray more for that. Just issues that I see around me, the homelessness and things, you're kind of actually starting to affect me more. How are your levels of compassion? It could be, actually, that you're feeling quite topped up. That actually you're feeling, actually, these things do move me. The stuff I see in our city, actually, it does bother me. But maybe you don't feel equipped. And actually, the other thing that really came out of the conference for me um, was li is linked to this verse. Um, from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. 
Now, I can be the type of person who maybe worries sometimes of how my words are coming out. Am I going to say the wrong thing? And actually, as Christians, we can worry a bit about that. How do we articulate things? How do we present the gospel? And in doing that, we can forget that ultimately, we are a people of the word, but also we're a people of the spirit. And actually, as Christians, one of the best things that we can do for each other is actually to pray for people to be filled with the spirit, to have that power to have those spiritual gifts, so that when we go about living our lives, that we can really um, come in the Spirit's power and reach people for the glory of his name. If we can go to the next slide. Now, we don't talk about this loads, but actually Beacon has a bit of a vision cycle. And we kind of start off, we kind of work on the school's school's academic year, and we start off beginning building the church, maybe looking at some foundational things. And I think the parables has been part of the series of kind of glorifying um, Jesus, like kind of maturity. And now we're entering into this phase of serving the community, bringing a bit more focus um, to that. And um, I just really like us to pray as we're entering into this new kind of phase and approaching it. Uh, um, Jen spoke about the weekend away. Jazz Potter was one of the people who spoke at the Reasons Beyond Conference. She's a really powerful speaker. And actually, as we bring this increased focus, think, oh, what are we doing for our city? What are we doing for our community? How are we reaching people? I just love us to start in um, prayer. And I think what's going to happen is um, Bill's going to play a bit of music eventually. And it'd just be great to get into groups of maybe four or five and actually... And just be praying to start off with around that idea of compassion. Compassion. Why do we do what we do? We do it, one of the reasons we do it for the glory of his name. You know, there's that famous John Piper quote, mission exists where worship doesn't. We want him to be worshipped, we want him to be glorified, and so we do it for that reason. We also do it because we have compassion on the lost. That's what we want. Because ultimately, when you have that compassion when you have that desire for the lost, where you have compassion on the, um, the problems that we see in our cities and our communities, that prompts us to action, and actually we don't run on empty. It moves us. And it um, helps us bring um, peace to our community and God's love. So it may be a little bit chaotic, but I would just like us to do that. We might pray for a few things, but just to start off, getting into some small groups praying actually that we'll have God's compassion for this city, for his people, and also praying maybe actually that the Holy Spirit will come on each and one of us, actually powerfully that his gifts will come, that we can go out with boldness, we can go out with confidence knowing that he is with us and that he has equipped us. So, we'll start doing that. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.